So our scriptural assurance of forgiveness um, is found in Titus chapter 3, um, verses 3 through 7. And so um, we, when we come to God in, in confession and repentance, um, uh, we can be assured that God listens, right? We can be assured that if we are in Christ, um, that God has forgiven our sins and that he welcomes us into fellowship with him. And so that's why we do this kind of this, this place that we call the scriptural assurance of forgiveness every week is because we want to remind ourselves that, that living um, a, a perfect life or living a sinless life or something is not the way that we are saved, even if we could accomplish that, which we we can't. Um, the, our assurance of forgiveness, our assurance of salvation comes um, in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we go to today to Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 3 through 7 for, for uh, this passage. And so it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. Uh, I think it is one of the clearest um, uh, uh, self-contained um, pictures of, of the gospel um, in, in all of the scriptures. And so, so I commend that passage to you to, to read and reflect on and to um, commit to memory um, as, as uh, you look for encouragement uh, in the faith. Uh, right now, we are going to um, go to our scripture reading for today, and we're continuing our um, study of the book of Mark, uh, uh, the study of the book of Luke. Um, we're looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And so what we're going to do is we're going to um, read 1 through 17, but we're going to skip verses 7 through 10. Um, that, that section actually will, will connect a little better with, with another message later on in chapter nine. And so we're going to kind of come back to it and connect it with that. But so we're going to read one through six and then verses 10 through 17. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of the, of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. In whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they, uh, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 10, and on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we 
here are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all, all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. All right, again, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we ask him to, to bless this time as, as we look into the word. Father God, we, we, um, God, we thank you for, again, all your many blessings. God, we look to, um, this, this time in our country. God, we, um, this week has brought a whole host of, of new challenges and, and, um, trials to our nation. God, we, um, we continue to see the, 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 uh, difficulty and the, um, God, people who are are disenfranchised and people who have lost hope, um, people who are acting out in in violence and illegality in the midst of these things, um, God, we continue to watch as as our country falls into um, disarray and confusion. God, we we don't know um, what the answers to those things are, and 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 yet we we are are fearful that the that the solutions um, might even be worse than the cures. That people uh, will will move in certain directions that that will actually make things uh, worse and and stoke um, the fires of of these things. Um, God, as we've been living in this country for for the last um, year, certainly it has been a a difficult place. Um, uh, God, to to um, see uh, what the best way of moving forward is. Um, God, we know that you are wise and good and gracious. God, we we ask that you. Um, Instill in us, God, for one, a, a spirit of prayer um, about our nation. Um, a, a, a friend of mine in the ministry made a comment uh, this week where he basically said, in any other generation, the events that had taken place this week would have had um, uh, a the, the entire uh, nation on its knees in prayer. And yet uh, that seemed to be kind of few and far between for us, uh, Lord. Um, God, we are unfaithful in those things. Again, as we're going to talk about today, we do not seek you out in, in our need oftentimes. Um, we, we think we can figure these problems out on our own, and yet we are over and over again shown the fact that we are incapable of these things, God, that, that the more we try to fix them in our own power and our own force and our own, um, ability, um, the worse these things get. And so, Father, we just ask for your, your kindness to us, God. Uh, we are, we are undeserving of anything. Um, we have not acted in a way that would warrant um uh, even even your your slightest blessing much less the kind of kindness and mercy that that um our country needs and yet father we ask for these things not because of who we are but because of who you are because you are good and gracious 
um, that you are a loving father, uh, that you love your people. And so we, uh, we ask that you would do that, um, that you would bring peace, that you would bring order, that you would bring, um, God, that you would give hope. Um, and we know ultimately that that can only come by people turning to your son, Jesus Christ, that there is the, the, the people who are out there who are, who are hopeless, both on the, the right and the left. Um, there is no hope to be found in the things of the world. Um, the reason they are hopeless is because, um, we as a nation have walked away from you and, uh, God, your word. And so, um, we ask for revival uh, in general. Uh, we ask that you would bring us back to you, um, that you would open people's eyes, that they would seek you um, in their troubles, um, that they would find uh, rest for their souls and peace um, with you. Father, we can't do that on our own. Uh, we need you to act. Father, as we open up your word, uh, we ask that you would uh, shine the light of the Holy Spirit on it, that we would um, understand it rightly, that we would ap apply it um, truly to our lives, and that we would um, be people who um, live out the truths that we find here. Uh, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are... Um, we are in Luke chapter nine, um, and and um, I think we could say that this passage is is in some ways it, it's, it's obviously connected. It's an extension of what Jesus had just been talking about in the previous passage. Um, that whole idea of Jesus having authority over over what we talked about last week, the four D's, right? That he has that he has authority and power over disaster, over the demonic, over disease, and ultimately over death itself. So the way this passage starts out um, <clears throat> is that Jesus is is giving his disciples a portion of that authority because he is telling them that it is their job to go and continue to expand this mission that he has been on himself. And we could go all the way back to, to Luke chapter 4, verse 43, where we see that Jesus says, I have come here to preach the good news, right? That's why I have, I have come into the world is to preach the gospel. Well, now Jesus is basically saying to the disciples, you've, you've sat and learned from me enough. I have empowered you and given you authority to do this. It's, it's time for you to go out and, and do what I've been doing to preach the good news, um, to, to the world. It's your job as a follower to do the same things that the master has been doing. OK, and so in in verse one, he says he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. OK, so the question is, though, is, is that that's a, that's a command to us, too. Right. That is a command to us, too, that we are called to go out and and to preach the gospel as well. And so we ask this question, though, but how like how can we do these things that Jesus has called us to do. Um, I, I can tell you from, from my personal experience, right, that the, the, uh, the, the sort of the process that I went through and still am going through and go through honestly on a weekly basis, um, with doing ministry, right? Um, you come into ministry, um, as a, as a, as a, young man thinking that you can change the world and it's going to be easy, right? You just think that it, nobody else understood the things that you understand now and that all you're going to do is step in there and you're going to speak some truth and you're going to serve some folks. And man, it's just like people are going to flock and it's going to, lives are going to be changed. And it's just going to be really easy, 
right? Uh, and then it doesn't. Uh, you come in and that's not what happens, right? So then the next time around, um, you say, all right, well, I, I probably need to put a little more into this thing, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to plan and I'm going to prepare and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to have all these things lined up to get together. There's going to be this, this, this something that comes of it and it's going to just explode and, and be easy. And then still nothing happens. Okay. Um, or at least sometimes. Um, and, and what happens is this is you begin to learn. Um, in ministry of your own inability uh, pretty quick. Uh, you learn that if if anything is going to happen, um, it's going to have to be the Lord's doing, right? Um, that if, if anybody's life is going to be changed, um, it will have to be Jesus that does it. And I think that's what this passage is about in, in, in a sense, right? It's about provision. It's about the idea that these disciples are going out and doing ministry, and Jesus is showing them that the only hope they have is that God will accomplish great things for his own glory, okay? That God will come in and do these things, that they are incapable of them, but that God can provide uh, and, and, and meet the needs and, and do the ministry that we're talking about. And also that it's easy for us to lose focus, right? It's easy for us to place that energy on ourself. So anyway, again, in the story, so Jesus sends them out um, on this sort of first ministry job, you could say, right? And I think this is all about teaching them their need, okay? And that's why these passages are connected. He gives them a few guiding principles in this this early section, verses 3 through 6, um, but then that connects right into the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So verse 3, he says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Okay. So what you notice there is, and again, I, we could, we could really zoom in. And I think I have preached a sermon on this, on this text um, by itself before we can kind of zoom in and, and talk about these things um, as, as their own message. But, but I'm going to kind of, kind of just do a quick um, run over of them because I think again, what he's doing is he's sort of giving them as they go out into the world, he's giving them some, some general principles, again, specific principles that are connected to this idea of the fact that God is going to do the work. God is going to be the one that provides. Okay. So the first thing he says is he says, Hey, don't take extra provisions, right? Don't take extra stuff, a bag, bread, money. Don't have two tunics, right? Don't take all this extra, these extra provisions. Trust in the Lord to give you your daily bread, the Bible talks about, right? Trust in the Lord to provide for you each day, okay? Now, again, that that doesn't mean planning ahead and preparing for difficulties is a bad thing. In fact, what we're going to see Weeks and week, months and months in the future, when we get to Luke chapter 22, in fact, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus sort of goes back on this, okay? He basically says, uh, hey, now uh, the situation we're in is if you've got a money bag, you should bring it. And if you don't have a sword, you should probably go out and buy one because you're going to need it, 
All right. And so essentially what happens is, is we see that the, the, the things that Jesus is saying to the disciples right here are not intended to be sort of this overarching philosophy of ministry and, and anything for the rest of time. He's, he's saying these things for a purpose, right? He's putting um, the, the disciples in sort of a controlled situation to teach them a principle here. And, and part of that control is the idea of saying, don't take extra stuff with you. Trust in God to provide for you each day. All right. The second thing he asks, in verse four, he says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave. OK, now that may seem like a weird kind of, of request, but I think the point of it is this, is, is Jesus is saying, be content with what I provide in each of these situ- situations. Right. Don't go into a town and like. You know, find a place who uh, is willing to welcome you in and let you come in. And then maybe the next day and you're in the town and like somebody richer with nicer food and better bed says, oh, why don't you come stay at my house instead? And then you kind of move up to the next one. And then it's like you're always trying to find um, a better deal. Okay. Um, Jesus says, when you enter a town, whoever welcomes you, that first person that welcomes you, just stay in that person's house. I've provided that. Um, I have allowed you to stay there. Stay in that place until it's time to leave town and then, and then, and then go on. Okay. Be content in what I have provided. Okay. And then the third thing, and again, it seems a little off, but it's, but it makes perfect sense how it's connected to the idea of this provision and the work of ministry is he says, um, if you go into a town and they don't accept you, then that's okay. Just leave town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And I think what he's getting at is the idea that, that people's acceptance of the message isn't your responsibility. Okay, Um, your responsibility is faithfulness. Okay, you can't make anybody believe anything. Okay, you're incapable of that. And if they reject the message, it is not your job to sit there and say, oh, what have I done wrong? It must be me. I've messed something up. I've got to keep on. I've got to push harder. I've got to work longer. I've got to do something like that. That's not the answer necessarily. Okay, he says, if, if people don't want to hear it, then that's okay. It's not your job to change anybody's heart. You just move on to the next person. You keep on trucking, and you go to somebody who will hear the message and receive it, okay? Now, again, there's a whole sermon right there in just those three passages that we could dig into, but but we are going to kind of zoom out and um, and and use that as the setup for this story that is called The Feeding of the 5,000. Um now, now, again, we're going to skip down past verse 7 through 9 because that's going to go, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But we get down to verse 10, and that sort of introduces this story of the feeding of the 5,000. So notice something in verse 10. He says this. So the guy, the disciples have gone out. They've ministered in the surrounding countryside, right? They've, they've done these miracles. They've healed people. They've preached the good news and all these things. Now they've come back. And it says on verse 10, it says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Okay. Now, I think there's a couple things going on here in this, in this passage. And I may be putting too much emphasis on it, something, but it makes sense, I think, in the context of the, the story. Notice how the wording says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Okay. I think that they is critical. All right. Jesus is going to teach the disciples one of the, the core truths of, of living out the Christian faith. OK, um, because they seem to to have an attitude that, man, they have gone out and they have done this hard work and 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 this stuff has happened. OK, 
Um, because here's the deal. In, in a sense, it had worked, okay? The expansion had worked. Jesus had sent them out to expand the message, and it had worked. Lots of people heard. Lots of people believed. Lots of people came and were healed. Um, a lot had been accomplished, and the disciples were, were kind of worn out uh, by the time they got home. Mark chapter 6 actually kind of connects those events a little better in context. So in Mark, he says, Jesus says to the disciples, once they get back from their mission, he says, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while, right? Because it's sort of like to say, man, you guys have, you guys have been really busy lately. You know, you need a little break. Um, and then it goes on to say that for many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Okay. That, that, that essentially what has happened is they've spread the message and a big crowd has shown up, right? A big crowd has come to follow the disciples and to follow Jesus, um, to be healed, to hear teaching and all these different things. Their outreach has brought even more people into Jesus' fear. Um, and the disciples don't even have time to eat because everybody's showing up. So they have succeeded in what you could say. They've succeeded in drawing a crowd, right? They've succeeded in bringing a lot of people into one place. But here's the problem, man. There is so much need, okay? This crowd has needs that must be ministered to. And so that all these people show up, and they still got all these issues, and they still got all these needs, and, and the disciples are worn out, and they don't know what to do. And so Jesus says, hey, man, you know what? You guys have done really well, and you've had a hard, hard time of this. You guys need a break. You, let's go on a little retreat, right? Let's go on a little vacation, um, you know, get, get some R&R, &R, um, and, and, and because you guys, you guys need that, right? Except here's the thing. I think Jesus is setting them up, okay? Um, he's just straight up setting them up for this thing, okay? So he says, come away to this remote place. Mark tells us that um, that uh, the, the place they're going to is, it, he makes it sound like it's out in the wilderness. Luke says it is near the city of Bethsaida, um, but those things are probably not mutually exclusive. Bethsaida is is six, they think, they're, they're not positive, but they think it's about six miles north off the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum and some of those places there. So you're kind of getting out into the country. You're not along the, the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee anymore with all of its traffic and, and, and people and stuff like that. And so it's kind of out in the, in, in the country now, but there's still this town there called Bethsaida. Um, but what happens? What happens in the story? Well, what happens is the need ends up following them, right? They can't get away from, from, the ministry that they need to do. They can't get away from the people who are in need because the need follows them out on their vacation. So verse 11 says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Okay. And so um, they try to get away, right, from these people and their problems, but ministry follows them. Okay, the needs of these people follow them out into it, right? There's a great principle for ministry there, too. Um, but I don't think it's the main thing. We keep on going. Verse 12. Now, the day began to wear away. So, right, they're out in the wilderness. They're out in this, this sort of um, uh, uh, country, rural area. And it says, the day begins to wear away. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. All right. So 
that is to say they were in a place where there there weren't resources, there weren't food, it, it wasn't a big city where there were lots of, you know, trade and, and stuff you could buy, right? They're out in the middle of nowhere, um, and, and these people didn't come ready to go camping, right? They didn't come with all their provisions and stuff ready, right? They just came out following the disciples and following Jesus, and now they're out in the middle of nowhere, and they've got no food and no shelter, and, and, no, and they're not prepared. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing to note, and, and probably if you have any familiarity with the, the certainly the Old Testament, but, but the New Testament as well, you know that, that, a, that the wilderness, that a desolate place, that, that like the one that he is talking about in, in, uh, that they are in right now, that plays a specific role in, in the imagery of the Bible, right? The wilderness is, is typically a place of testing. Okay, so we can think of of any number of of situations. We can think of Israel when they are in in when they're not allowed to go into the promised land. We can think of Jesus when he's when he's fasting um, before he uh, starts his public ministry. Like there's all these different stories that point to that. That the wilderness is a place of testing um, for God's people. But what we also find is that it's a place of provision. Okay, it is a place where people go out to, and, and so we can think of when Hagar goes out and she's she's just going to go out into the desert to die, and yet God provides for her. Um, or when Elijah, um, after the prophets of Baal incidents and stuff, he flees from Jezebel and he goes out into the wilderness, and and God sends these birds um, who bring him food, and and he's provided for in the wilderness, right? And so the wilderness, you often find that in the context of Scripture. The wilderness is a place of testing, but it's also the place where God meets us. Right? Right? It's also the place where God provides for us, um, specifically where God meets his people in a unique way. And so Jesus, I think the case is, like I said, he's setting them up. Jesus didn't bring these guys out here for a vacation, right? He didn't bring them out for you know a little bit of camping in the mountains and a day at the lake or anything like that. He brought them out for a, a time of testing, but also for a time of provision to show them the providing love of God. So verse 13, it says, but he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Well, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go buy, uh, go and buy food for all of these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Okay, so the wording there, it says there are 5,000 men, but that may not include women and children, okay? And so... There could be a crowd of of 10,000 plus people who are out here with Jesus in the middle of nowhere with no provisions. And and honestly, whether it is 5,000 men, just 5,000 men or 10,000 people in general, it really doesn't make any difference, right? Um, Because remember – why they're out here because because the disciples have have drawn this crowd and all these people have come to the disciples um and and they're not capable of taking care of 5000 or 10000 right it really doesn't matter but that's what Jesus is saying he's saying if these are your people you take care of them you've gone out and done these things where you've brought these people to to uh into this group, right? You take care of them. You've drawn this crowd, now take care of them. But they say, we can't. Uh, we can't do that. Uh, for one, Jesus, all we have is, is five loaves and, and two little fish, okay? Uh, two, we don't have any money uh, we, on top of that. Um, and even if we did have money, um, it wouldn't be enough uh, to buy enough food for even all these people to even just get a snack, and that's even if 
there was somewhere to buy it, which there isn't. There's nowhere to get it. Um, and in fact, the scary thing is, is that even if we send these people away, they're not going to be able to find it anywhere either, right? Even if they have their own money, there's, they're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, they go to Bethsaida, uh, there's going to be a little bit of food for a few people, but, but there's a problem here, right? These people have gotten themselves into a situation that, that they don't know how to get out of. And Jesus says, well, disciples, you guys are so smart. Why don't you fix it? Why don't you take care of these people? Why don't you meet their need? Now, real quick, Luke doesn't give us this specific detail, but John, uh, in his gospel, tells us that the five loaves and the two fish were donated to the group by a little boy. Now, sometimes what will happen when you hear someone preach this passage is they'll say something like this. Well, you know, there was no food. Um, uh, and everybody, nobody had anything to eat. But when this one generous, sacrificial little boy uh, ponied up what he had brought, right, what that did is that caused everybody else to start, well, pulling something out that they'd kind of been hiding away for themselves. Everybody starts bringing out the food um, that they had been trying to keep secret so that they would have something to eat, that they had been selfishly hiding. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, when everybody's willing to share out of generosity and sacrifice, there's actually enough for everybody. There's an abundance shared by the whole group. Right? You hear this passage preached that way sometimes. That is a sweet, sweet story. It's stupid, but it is a sweet story, okay? But that's not at all what happens, right? There's nothing of that in this text, okay? You don't see any of that in this passage, okay? What you see here is a miraculous provision by God, okay? And so then it says in 14, verse 14, it says, And he said to his disciples, all right, have them sit down in groups of 50, about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the, and to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. All right, so this, this mob... Of, of desperate people who have left their homes, who have traveled far away um, to come to this place. Why? Because they're desperate. They're desperate to be healed. They're desperate to be taught. They're desperate to be saved. They're desperate for, for anybody to care about them and show interest in them. And Jesus brings order from this mob, right? First off, he says, I, I want all of you to sit down in these groups. I want you to chill out. Everybody, he brings order out of this mob, okay? And then Jesus takes the bread that has been given. He blesses it, and then he breaks it. Now, usually we think of of during a blessing or whatever, our, our heads would be down, right? Um, but Christ, it says, looks up. He looks up as he blesses the food, as he breaks the bread, and it reminded me of, of, of the passage that we see that uh, uh, Tim read earlier for our call to worship, right? I lift my eyes into the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, right? God, uh, Jesus looks up to the Father um, asking for his help, asking for his provision, asking for his blessing. He breaks the bread, and then what happens? 
suddenly the bread just starts to what? It, it multiplies, maybe? Uh, it, it begins to materialize out of thin air? The answer is we don't really, it doesn't tell us exactly the process. We don't know what happens. It reminds us of a lot of things. Again, it reminds us of all these miracles that we remember from the Old Testament. It reminds us of Moses in the desert with the manna, right? And every morning they would just wake up and there was this stuff everywhere, almost like it had come down with the dew. We're reminded of the of the story of, of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. We talked about uh, her a few weeks ago, um, and she had this pot of flour. And when and when Elijah showed up, she said, "I've got this enough for one cake of of you know one biscuit or whatever to make, and that's all the food I've got. I'm going to eat it. And me and my son are going to die, and that's going to be the end." And Elijah basically says, "God will take care of you," and that that pot of plow, flour never runs out. Every morning she goes to scoop some out and there's and there's some still there. Another story, Elisha uh and and the widow uh that he encounters, right? She uh she can't pay her debts and she's broke and so Elijah Elisha tells her to go borrow uh any kind of vessel that will hold liquid and and as many as she can get. She brings them all to the house. And then as they pour from her last jar of oil, it pours into these larger vessels and they fill and then fills others. And there's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like the TARDIS on Doctor Who, right? It's bigger on the inside or something. It just keeps on filling until all these jars are filled from this tiny bit of oil that she had left, right? This is not a miracle of the generosity of people. Okay, it is not a miracle of the self-sacrificingness of people. It is a miracle of the provision of God. So much so that it says they all ate and were satisfied. Man, what an important word. They were satisfied. Okay, that there was something that they were filled in a way that they could not have been um, by anybody else. And so even to the extent that what does it tell us at the end of 17? And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. What do those 12 baskets mean? 12 biblically is a number of completion. It's a number of fulfillment. You've got the 12 tribes. You've got the 12 apostles, right? Um, this is a, it's a, it's a number saying there's plenty. It's full. It's enough. There, there's nothing missing from this thing, okay? And so, again, I think what's important about this passage, and, and, and here's a fact that I, I forgot to mention earlier. Um, it is the only story that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, right? Other than, like, the general events of the cross and the resurrection, in terms of, like, a parable or, or a little uh, a story about an encounter that Jesus has, this is the only one that is found in all four of the Gospels. That's That should tell us something, right? That should say to us that, for some reason, the disciples, certainly the Holy Spirit inspiring these things, but, but the disciples who were writing down these, te- there was something special about this story to them, okay? And I think it all ties into this idea of what ministry looks like and how God is going to provide for us in the context, midst of those things. And so I want to kind of close with sort of three principles that we take out of that, okay? Very general things, but things that I think we see in this passage. And the first one is this. You can't, all right? You can't. We are insufficient to the task. You have been sent, right? You have been commanded by Jesus to go and tell and to serve and to lead. But you are insufficient to the task. 
you might say, well, what task specifically am I in, insufficient uh, for, Ash? And the answer is all of them. Okay, uh, you are insufficient to to bring salvation to someone, you, to do ministry, to be a leader, to uh, lead your family, for friendship, for work, for life. You are insufficient for all of these things. And I think Jesus set up this whole scenario to show the disciples that there will never be a point where they can do it on their own. Look at what we did. Look at what we accomplished when we went out, Jesus, and did ministry. But again, what happens? The need keeps on coming. The brokenness that we encounter every single day is, is overwhelming, and it's twofold, right? It's, it's twofold. That, that, that ministry that we encounter, one, it's too big, and two, we're too small. And so Jesus says, look at this crowd that you've gathered. What are you going to do with them now? How are you going to help these people? We have to rely on the provision of God. That doesn't mean that we don't contribute anything, right? That, that You read the story, right? They still went and, and ministered. This boy still gave what he had, okay? But what we notice is that Jesus comes and he takes that meager offering that we have, that broken vessel that we have, and he transforms it. Sometimes you, you hear the phrase in the church, what is transferred to Jesus is transformed by Jesus, right? Um, we bring our, our little obedience to him, and Jesus turns that into something, okay? We can't do it. But that's the second point, is that Jesus can, right? Christ can. Jesus is the sole provider. Jesus provides beyond what we can expect, beyond what we can even comprehend, because, again, he is the shepherd that loves us. Feeding and ministering to these people seemed like an impossible task to the disciples. How much more does do, do our sin and, and, the, and the problem of the fact that we are under God's judgment, how much more um, the fact that, man, there are people in this world who have suffered incredible hurt and loss and abuse and pain in their lives. These seems like, seem like impossible problems for us. But the reality is, is that Jesus is powerful and capable to provide. Okay, and again, we see the connection to that passage last week about the four Ds, right? Is that that's setting up the idea that Jesus has power over all these things. All these things that we're scared of, Jesus has power and authority over. But not just the, the, the enemies in our lives, but our daily bread, right? We need Jesus to be working in us and providing for us and coming alongside us and, 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 and doing these things every single day. When you combine those two things together, that we can't, but Jesus can, we find that that humility in us and Christ's exaltation, um, that, that's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end, it's, it's, uh, it's the whole of the Christian life, right? Right? That is, that, added, that idea, our humility in Christ's exaltation, that's the point that we enter the faith, right? The, the point that we enter the church through salvation. Um, that is our daily attitude that leads us into sanctification, that, that we can't, Christ can. Our humility, Christ's exaltation. And I think the case is going to be in eternity. It will be our ever-present experience in its fulfillment, right? Um, that we will live every day in eternity, um, feeling our own um, insufficiency and gloriously feeling Christ's sufficiency, his exaltation.
and being with him in that relationship for eternity. Okay? And so those two things, again, I said at the beginning, I said, I think part of the reason why this story is in all four Gospels is because this is, this is, a, this is a key passage to us understanding how we go about not only ministry, ministry but about the Christian life. Is we have to come to it at a point of our humility and Christ's exaltation. But there's one more thing, a third point um, that I think we can, a general thing that we can bring out of this, right? And it is the idea that wilderness is where we are provided for. Okay, wilderness, the wilderness, the desolate place is the place, our point of need is the place where Christ meets us and where he provides for us. Right. It is in the lean times, the times of trial, the times of tragedy, that that's when Christ provides. And recognize this. The reality is, no matter how much you think you would have. You would not have known Christ fully. You would not have known Christ rightly were it not for those difficult times. You know, I was joking to somebody the other day. I, I love my dad, right? Um, and yet it seems like I only call him when my car's broken down. Um, I love my dad and I want to talk to him. And yet I, there's always something that I find, you know, there's, there's other things. The busyness of life happens. But man, if my car breaks down or if I need help talking about something in, on the house that we're working on, right? Man, I'm, I'll call him. Because again, whether we like to admit it or not, we are closer to God in times of trial. And if the ultimate goal is to get close to Christ, then Jesus will take us into the wilderness. That is why the Bible can talk with about rejoicing and suffering without even the, a hint of irony in it, right? That's why we can read stories about men being whipped and beaten for the gospel and yet come out on the other side singing hymns, saying, man, how lucky are we to have gotten beaten by God, uh, for God? I think I've, I've shared the story a number of times because it's a story that just has it, it, it uh, set itself up in, 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 as an example in my heart of the story of a number of, of South Korean missionaries who had come to, I believe it was Afghanistan, um, as, as missionaries. And they were there in Afghanistan preaching the gospel, and they were arrested because um, you can't do that there, right, or at least not openly. But they were arrested, and they were put in – uh, prison, and they were there for a long time. There was a certain amount of international kind of public outcry about that, about how they should be released, and all these things. And and there were and, and they were not treated great. And if I remember rightly, the the pastor of the group was actually executed. Um, but then they allowed the rest of the group to go home. And what was incredible incredible about the testimony of these people after the fact is that many of them said, "Man, I wish I was back there in that prison." Because we were so close to God when we were in that prison. We were so connected to him. We could, we could feel his presence so much because he was, it was all we had to count on. But as soon as we got back to the, to the real world, to the safe world, where there wasn't that urgency, where there wasn't that dire need, they said, it seemed like we lost it and, and, and we can't get it back. And so some of those people were like, I would rather be there. I wish I was still there in that place because of how close I was to God in that time. Um, 
man, that can be a scary fact. And you know what? Honestly, like with all the stuff going on, I don't know how the future is going to play out. I don't know what's going to happen in this country, right? Um, man, 2021 may be a year where everything completely gets back to normal and everybody just chills out a little bit, right? Or maybe we learn from our mistakes and we start making some wiser um, decisions, or maybe everybody just kind of chills out. I don't know what's going to happen, but, but it's at least possible that what God is doing is, is, is he is taking us into a wilderness, right? That he is taking the church in the United States into a place um, that it has not been in in a long time. And the reason is, is because we have gotten self-sufficient and we have gotten um, to the point where we are so reliant on ourselves and we are so disconnected from God that he is going to bring us to a time of testing. But we also need to remember that it's in those times of testing that God shows up, that he meets us at that point of need. So again, I think, I think Mark and, and all the us, other gospel writers recognize the centrality of this story for our Christian experience. The truth that we cannot trust in our own power, but we have to trust in Christ alone. And if we will do that, we will see his provision in our hour of need. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, I'll have uh, Marlon come back in and he'll close us uh, in a song. Father God, uh, we again, we pray for our nation right now, God. We pray for um, for the division uh, and and the confusion, um, the violence and the rebellion. Um, God, we pray. um, uh, We know that there are probably going to be lots of things in the near future um, with with the the. the new administration coming in um, that that we as Christians will see as as uh, wrong uh, and wicked um, things that are antithetical to um, to our beliefs on on life and morality. Um, God, we don't know what you're doing in our country right now. We don't know what the next um, few years are going to look like. And yet we know, God, that you love your people and that you provide for them. Um, that even in times of testing, um, you are there forming them into the people that you have called them to be. Father, help us to faithfully live whatever the situation is, God. If, if you bring us into a time of peace, um, and prosperity, God help us to to weather that rightly, because we know that God that can be as much a test and a trial as anything. We can misuse those things and fall away um, probably more easily in times of of, of peace and prosperity. Um, but God, if it is trial that you have for us, um, then help us to weather that um, and and to learn um, what you have to teach us. Um, that we would be. Um, uh, willing and ready um, for the way that you are forming us, um, God, and we we pray and look forward to, to meeting you in that wilderness um, and experiencing your um, grace and your provision. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Um, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.